Hello everybody and welcome. This is episode one of Cheapskate Computing for the Frugal Technology Consumer. I'm your host, Bro. Well, today in this beautiful evening commute through Damascus, Maryland, I'd like to talk to you about dumpster diving. And dumpster diving, the sport of champions, the sport of frugality, the sport of college students, really. I guess you could call it a sport. It's more like a giant treasure hunting find, but you have to be careful what you get. So, the first thing you remember with dumpster diving is that somebody threw this stuff away for a reason. It might be because it's busted, it might be because it doesn't work, it doesn't work for them, they upgraded, what have you. You really hope that it was ignorance. That whatever problem they had with whatever they're throwing away, you can solve and make use of. So the first thing is obey your local laws. For example, the recycling center in my home county has a very clearly posted no scavenging sign. As soon as the electronic equipment hits the dumpster, hits the ground, what have you, as soon as somebody leaves it there, you can't touch it. You can try to coax it out of their hands beforehand, though. That's fine. So don't look suspicious. Be happy to talk to people, answer people, you know, tell them what you're doing if they ask. The cops show up, be cooperative, within reason. You know, you're here to get some trash. It's been clearly abandoned on the side of the road. And, of course, if you have any other questions, consult your local laws, consult a lawyer. I'm not legal advice. So, okay, we have stumbled across a dumpster that has, let's say you live in a college town, it's the end of the semester, people are throwing stuff out. You find a nice find near any your apartment complex's dumpster. It's the first thing you do, you start picking through it. You generally want to wear old clothes because you are rooting around in trash. You're going to want a nice pair of gloves, um, especially depending on what's in the dumpster. If it's just household trash, usually the stuff's in bags. Most of the food's going to be contained. You can pick things apart. It might be a little staining. Um, sometimes you'll get a lot of glass bottles or neon glass tubes. you got to be careful with sharp objects. You don't know what people throw away. They can throw away razor blades for all you know. So use some caution. Wear gloves thick leather, thin rubber, whatever you can get a hold of. You may want to wear two if you're really concerned about the state of what's in there. Um, wear old clothes that, you know, if they get stained, you don't mind burning them or throwing them away and never wearing them again. And if you're going to transport this stuff home, you're not just going to carry it home. You need to quarantine the vehicle, the that you're taking this in, you know, drop cloths, plastic tarps, uh, painter's cloths, big flat plastic sheets that they give you to keep paint off your carpet while you're painting the walls, they're great for this purpose. And usually not all that expensive either if you do quite a bit of dumpster diving. Alright, so we've got this, uh, let's say we find a couple computers in the, the dumpster and we take it back to your house. First thing you want to do is quarantine it. You don't know how long it's been there. You don't know if it was thrown in the dumpster today, a couple days ago. You don't know if there's food mixed in. You don't know if there's bugs mixed in it, vermin, other insects, that type of thing. So you want to quarantine it. You just don't want to put it in the middle of the room with your pets or kids or other roommates or where food is being served. No, you want to put it in like a workshop area where it's off the beaten path. And until you clean it and figure out what's going on with it, nobody's going to touch it. 
The second thing to do is to test the hardware. You need to verify its operation. And the best way to do that is known working components. If you want to test cables, you have a known working power supply and known working, say power cables, a known working device that can tolerate not taking a good cable or something you don't really care that much about, but you know works. An old TV, for example, for testing signal cable or heck, an old TV for testing if your VCR still outputs or a computer, you know, you need a monitor to see if the video card still works, that type of thing. So after you've quarantined and tested it and verified that it works, it's time to check your hat color because these systems generally store data. In the case of like game consoles and VCRs, there's not much really stolen except maybe some home movies and people tend to throw out non-working, non-usable cassette tape anyway and it's usually just bad, you know, recordings of shows from the 80s that most people don't care about. But hard drives are another story. So if your hat's gray, that's the easiest one. You just deban it. You don't care. You may look around to see what's on it, but generally if your hat's gray, you're just going to wipe it and get on with your life. If you're a white hat, you might try to figure out who owned the system beforehand and give them a little use your education moment, and then you're going to wipe it. And if your hat's black, well, you've got physical access so I don't really need to tell you anything more. You need, you know all you need to know. But, you know, in addition to cleaning the data off the device, or not, in the case of the black hats out there, you need to clean the device itself. And generally this means some light solvents, maybe some strong solvents for the cases. I would not use strong solvents on electronic components. That's inviting disaster and other things like air compressors. So, quick word of the solvents we like to use. For a nice light solvent, a weak solvent, we like to use 91% rubbing alcohol, isopropyl. And by we, I mean a couple friends and I who are accomplished dumpster divers. And I'm hoping to have this friend on as a guest in later shows, but it's kind of hard when he's not in my car. We definitely prefer the 91. 91 evaporates fairly quickly because it is mostly isopropyl alcohol. It's only 9% water and other sorts of additives and impurities. 70, we 70%, which is the most common concentration we can find. I guess you can find some 50% too, and you can find like mentholated rubbing alcohol, but don't use that for cleaning stuff, please. Minty Fresh does not refer to a state of a system. The reason is because there's too much water in it, and water takes a very long time to evaporate. So you have to wait for the stuff to evaporate. With the 91% rubbing alcohol, you know, any excess liquid left on the components will evaporate off very quickly, and so you won't have what is effectively salt water or electrolytics transmitting electrical signals across signal lines that should not be bridged. So that's the main thing that we like to use to clean off sensitive electronic components. And usually it doesn't leach very much. Water is very good at leaching, but if it's not on for very long, then you're usually okay. Um, if for things like label residue on cases, things like that, some people like Goo Gone or some other type of very harsh solvent. Some people like Lime Away for hardware deposits on case. I don't really have any brand recommendations. Don't use that stuff on PCBs. It's not good for it. Some may even argue that 91% rubbing, isopropyl rubbing alcohol is not good to be used on PCBs. 
but, you know, if you ruin a PCB, what's the worst that ha can happen? You just throw it back in the trash or responsibly recycle it because a lot of these things have heavy metals in them. So to that, um, uncompressed air, about that, or I should say compressed air, you want a good compressed stream. Legendary dust bunnies are quite legendary. We've gotten quite a few nasty ones. Um, I have stories about what happens when you mix cigarette smoke deposits and cat hair. Let me tell you, I don't eat Cheetos very often as a result because the smell was unmistakable. And I mean unmistakably close. But a little compressed airstream is always good for getting out those sorts of loose dust and making sure fans spin and things like that. But make sure it's clean air. You can't just take this thing to a gas station and use their air compression. You might get bits of metal. You might get droplets of oil. And I talked earlier about bridging components. Those two things will do it very, very well. Depending on what kind of oil is in there. All right, next thing. Software licenses. Well, these stuff has been thrown out. You could probably make a case for that the original hardware and software was abandoned. But unless they also threw out the certificates of authenticity and original install media don't trust it. Just don't. You don't know what viruses or malware, key loggers, programs not under the user's control, or programs under the user's control. You never know. It could be a honeypot plan. Rare, but possible. What's going to call home? What's going to report it is stolen. But just wipe it, install known, good, trusted, working software that you have a license for. For me, that's free software. There's that supports software freedom that I can get under, you know, a free or open source software license that I can install on as many computers as I like, which is good because, you know, when you pull four or five out of the dumpster, yeah, you've got these low-end computers for free and trying to put a good working trusted software install on it is a little difficult when you have to pay for a license. things like that. You need to know how to supply your own software. I can't tell you where to get it. My only recommendation is use something you're familiar with, and if you get really esoteric hardware, NetBSD will probably install on it. Because you're probably going to find some esoteric old hardware. I've found hardware that looks like it was pulled straight out of mainframes. And with that, I would like to bring an end to the strict content about dumpster diving. I just want to share some uh, good dumpster dive stories. <laughs> The first dumpster dive story is what I call the epic dumpster dive story. But by as far as epic dumpster dives, it really wasn't that epic. It was just a three-hour movie. And it could be shot in real time. You wouldn't have to cut anything out. Um, a friend and I had found a dumpster at where we work that wasn't populated with the, our employer's equipment. It was populated with fellow tenants in the building's equipment. And it was obviously corporate because they had corporate installs of antivirus and just joined the domains and the windows. But there was probably a good seven or eight machines in there. I think seven worked, four Pentium 4s, three dual core, or no, dual processor slot one motherboards, and one Pentium 3. My memory's a little fuzzy. Of the Pentium 4s, I think one is still working. So, you know, there were problems with the motherboards and possibly the chips. They just stopped working, although most of the peripherals still work just fine. Um, the dual slot motherboards, they were tie-in S1834s, and when you look at a hardware, piece of hardware, and it says revision F on it, you kind of think, what came before F? 
was it A, B, C, D, E, F, or was it 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, A, B, C, D, E, F? In this case, it was just A, B, C, D, E, F, and still, if you're at the sixth revision of a motherboard, it means it's really popular or really bad. In this case, it was really bad. Both those motherboards failed, and I ended up scrapping them for parts and recycling them. Um, one other of the tie-ins, the AS1832, the last dual slot motherboard, got shipped to a friend in Ohio, and I believe it is still in service as a firewall distribution, or firewall deployment. I think it's running like smooth wall or mono wall or something like that. Um, the Pentium 3 got replaced with a P3850, dumped as much RAM and as good a video card as I could find in it, and it became my primary desktop for about three years, running things like Ubuntu and Xubuntu. They would, they would run just fine. 3 acceleration was kind of a pain in the butt because the thing had a TT, TNT2 in it, so I just used the free ND driver, although Nouveau would probably work these days. Um, and there was lots of miscellaneous cables and add-in cards, not too many hard drives, and we just wiped what we could find. But that kept us going for a while, and I got a lot of good cases out of it. And I met a friend in Frederick, Maryland, an older gentleman who as his hobby, puts together cobbled systems out of parts and gives them away on FreeCycle. little education about the, the GNU Linux system he installs. He installs Xubuntu and says, well, for 20 bucks a month, you can have internet in this area, and it's the low-end DSL, what have you. It just gets bundled with your phone line, and they have a working internet machine for 20 bucks. So I gave him a lot of my spare components. Um, before that, I lived with my parents' town, which is a college town in central Pennsylvania, and that's all I really need to say about it. You'll figure it out. It's quite aptly named, let's put it that way. And every six months or so, until they recently introduced this recycling program for electronics, where you could just dump it every time, you, any day you wanted, every six months was what they what was colloquially called riffraff day. So every six months, we'd hop in the car and drive around and look for electronics. And at this time, I think it was, I was probably 16 or 17. So I give you some background into how long ago I was doing this. We found some 386 and 486 systems. And one of those was from a government contractor in the area that had some somewhat sensitive documents. We'll say human resources documents. There was a deleted document that I managed to recover some pieces of information from that looked like it was a sexual harassment incident report. And it didn't really have names. I think it just said the victim and it had Mr. Whoever was the perpetrator. I don't care. It wasn't important. That was a fun find, but that one also got debanded and recycled because I had no use for 486. And beyond that, I think I found a couple Mac systems. I found a Mac 2SI, I think, that was fully working. Keyboard, mouse, monitor, all of it worked just great. It even had the poor woman's homework on it. I kind of felt bad for the woman, but I felt worse looking her up and saying, hey, you threw out all your schoolwork. Did you still want this? I wiped that drive too and reinstalled it with a fresh install of eh, some system software. It was Mac, so it wasn't like you could run a lot of free software on it. That one may have just gotten recycled. If you're not going to grab technology items from a dumpster dive, be aware of things like bed bugs. They're going, there's a huge bed bug outbreak in New York City and they like to get a they like to crawl into things and eat people while they sleep. They might crawl into a warm, nice computer power supply or computer UPS unit, which tend to get a little warm. 
UPSs are known to attract ants as well, especially if there's a nice reliable food source nearby, which would be you eating at your desk. That's disgusting. Do it at the kitchen table. But, you know, be aware that this stuff got thrown away. But if you know what to look for, it's fine. You can definitely get some good technology, although it's definitely going to be on the low end and possibly slightly busted, for next to nothing, or nothing at all, that next to nothing being your time investment and any additional peripherals or replacement parts that you need to get the system to work. Um, that's all for this episode. I'll, I'll speak to you next time on my commute home. Take care. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.